0: Over 50 years ago, a woman by the name of Irina Dunn coined the famous catchphrase, A woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle, which was then used by Gloria Steinem and became a popular slogan among the feminists of the day. Of course, this is partly true. It's not a relationship with another person that makes one complete. It's actually a relationship with our creator God that's required. That's what's missing in so many of our lives. That's the relationship that's been broken. And God, in his amazing goodness, has given us relationships with others especially in marriage, in order that we might get a glimpse into what a relationship with him is like. And that's what's pictured for us in the story of Ruth that we've been looking at over these past two Sundays. And this morning, we move into chapter 3 and the remarkable story of how Ruth proposes marriage to Boaz. Now, let me immediately say at the outset that this may open up some old wounds with folk listening. You're not married, but would like to be so. You are married, but wish you weren't. You've been widowed, you've been divorced, you've had your heart broken. And just so we're clear, this isn't a message about how to get a partner and to make everything right. That's not how it works. Rather, this is all about how you might enter into a relationship with Almighty God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we did last week, I'd like us to run through the events of this chapter and try and understand what happened 3,000 years ago there in Bethlehem. And, and when we come to chapter 3, the chapter we've got under consideration this morning, I have to say that isn't easy. It, it raises actually a lot of questions without always giving us answers. Now, before we get underway, it helps us to set our direction of travel. It's worth for us observing that chapter 3, the chapter we're looking at this morning, is a deliberate mirror of chapter 2. The writer wants us to notice certain similarities and recognize significant differences. For example, both chapters... Begin with Ruth and Naomi alone together, at which time they agree that Ruth should go somewhere else. Both chapters. In both chapters, you discover that Boaz asks Ruth who she is. In both chapters, chapters Boaz invites her to stay and commends her as a woman who is worthy of blessing. In both chapters Ruth returns to Naomi at the end of the chapter and tells her what's happened and both chapters close with Naomi giving her daughter-in-law advice so not much changes there. So aware that this is the direction of travel let's have a look at the footsteps along the way. Chapter 3, verse 1, it will help you both here in the congregation and you at home to have a Bible open in front of you. And follow this through with me. Verse 1, one day Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. So clearly time has moved on from the end of the last Chapter. Now, if you remember, we started our story really as the barley harvest was beginning. That's what the closing verse of uh, chapter 1 told us. And it's now approaching the harvest end, when the winnowing of the grain is taking place. And Naomi expresses her concern to find a home for Ruth. And again, if you were with us back in chapter 1, verse 9, you'll remember that she had turned then to her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, and said to them, There may the Lord grant that each one of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Well, it's this theme, it's this concern of Naomi's that's picked up again. For, For we have to understand that in that patriarchal society, rest... And provision were found through marriage. You see, there wasn't a future for two women on their own. And Naomi reveals her changed attitude towards Ruth. We noticed that last week. With the self-sacrificing suggestion that's here at the start of chapter 3, that she says, I'm going to find a home for you. I want you to find rest. I want you to find protection." Now, if we're to understand this chapter, we have to press the pause button at this point and grasp the context to what's happening here. You see, Naomi said she needed to find Ruth a husband. But in that society, there was no recognized way for a woman to do that. Marriages were arranged by men. And although Boaz seemed to be the best candidate for Ruth, you see, there wasn't an opportunity for them to get together. So Naomi begins to construct a plan. Now, let me just try and illustrate it in this way. I know a number of Christian couples today who used a Christian dating website to meet. And I think that's brilliant. Well done. You see, they wanted to find a serious relationship with another Christian, but they hadn't been able to in their own church setting. So rather than church hop, they used this particular online technology. Excellent, what do you do when the conventions can't be followed? So how was Ruth to meet Boaz? There weren't the conventional channels for a foreign widow living with her mother-in-law to connect with the most important man in the community. You see, for the sake of decency, Boaz couldn't pay Ruth too much attention in full view of his workers and he certainly wouldn't have wanted to stir up town gossip for either of them. So, Naomi came up with a plan. Verse 2. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash... Put on perfume and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor. But don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. Now, it's been helpfully suggested that Naomi's instruction to Ruth, telling her to put on her best clothes, could actually be connected with her not needing to wear her widow's clothes anymore. Remember, she was the widow of Marlon. And of course, she really would need Naomi's permission and encouragement to do just that, to go through the time of mourning. So you see, Ruth would be sending signals that she's now open to the idea of of marriage, whereas widow's clothes would have given a very negative signal before that. Now, a threshing floor was where the grain was gathered. And by throwing it in the air, hopefully in the presence of a good stiff breeze, chaff was blown away. It was removed and it was the, the grain that then fell to the floor. That's what Boaz was doing. And after he'd done this work, he would have had a good meal. He would have had something to drink. Now, some suggest other winnowers would have been present there, but actually in the light of other details, that seems unlikely. And then Boaz would settle down to guard the grain, either from theft or from animals, rodents that could come in and and eat it. Now, Without doubt, in this scene, the writer deliberately seeks to heighten the sexual tension with the words used. A number of the expressions, actually, that are incorporated into this passage have sexual connotations. Now, I'm not going to go through them. Ask me about them afterwards if you want to. And could I just say equally, there is no suggestion that anything inappropriate took place. It's just actually our Western view of sex is far less, less healthy and holistic than the Hebrew understanding. Verse 5. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. She went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night something startled the man. He turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Do you know, so many things could have gone wrong. But they didn't. In the pitch darkness of that night Ruth locates the sleeping Boaz, uncovers his feet and lies down of course as we noted when we were looking at chapter 1, women from Moab had a reputation had a history for seducing Israelite men so what sort of reaction is she going to discover? Will she be forever disgraced For her actions in that shame culture, will she be driven out of town and away from Naomi? What will he say? What instructions does Naomi think that he's going to give her? Well, the obvious and initial answer, Boaz's first reaction was, who are you? He knew it was a woman, but at this moment, not. Which woman? And Ruth's response was to change the course of history. Although the question in chapter 2, when Boaz asked about her, was all about who she belonged to, which man gave her protection, here she is able to answer in her own right, I am your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me. Now, as we saw last week, Ruth is echoing back to uh, when Boaz gave a blessing to her in the field when they first met. Do you remember that? Chapter 2, verse 12. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And we saw how that expression, under whose wings, is actually the same as under the corner of a garment. Which was Hebrew, shorthand for marry me. Actually, we can notice how the same expression is used elsewhere in the Old Testament. For example, Ezekiel chapter 16 verse 8 Later, I passed by, and when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, now get this I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your naked body. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. It's about marriage. So Ruth is following Naomi's plan to find her a husband, a plan to find her protection, a plan to find her provision. But it's here in the story that Ruth goes off script. And this has generated a lot of discussion. Actually, it's kept a lot of theologians in work. For Ruth says, spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Well, you say, Andy, that's that's obvious. A guardian redeemer has to marry the widow. That's why Ruth said what she did. No, hang on. That's not the case. Because that responsibility to marry doesn't go beyond the brother of the deceased. You see that wasn't who Boaz was. To be a guardian redeemer, this reference to a guardian redeemer is actually all about land. And as we'll see next week, when Boaz talks to another guardian redeemer of this family, he reminds him he will acquire the widow with the land, but there's no reference to marriage. So what's going on here? Why did Ruth add the bit about the guardian redeemer? Well, I think it's to do with her commitment to Naomi. Naomi hasn't been thinking, you see, about her husband's property. She's been thinking about Ruth and getting Ruth married off for her own good. The bit about lying at his feet, Naomi's instruction was purely about marriage. But it's Ruth who makes it more. She's the one who introduces the guardian redeemer responsibilities towards the land for this will give security and provision to Naomi, the mother-in-law that she's committed to. So Ruth in effect in this part is saying, okay Boaz, marry me and by the way, in addition, bless Naomi by redeeming the land that she has title to. And in passing, it, it might be worth suggesting that by, by doing so, Boaz would actually change his marriage to a foreigner from a scandalous affair, which he could have been regarded as, into one in which he is highly honored for going over and above and beyond the guardian-redeemer requirements. And actually, if we understand the passage in that way, it really does make more sense of what follows. Verse 10 The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true, I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. Now, when Boaz talks about that earlier kindness, he's referring to Ruth's commitment to Naomi as she returned to Bethlehem where Naomi said, I'm going to stick, uh, Ruth said to Naomi, I'm going to stick with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to look after you. Now, the greater kindness, the greater hesed love, the greater gracious faithfulness that Ruth is showing here is not only seeking marriage with Boaz, but is seeking security for Naomi. And what great kindness and sensitivity Boaz displays. He recognizes the fears and anxieties this Moabite woman would be experiencing. And so he puts her at her ease. You see, he says, don't be afraid. I'll do everything you ask. He shows concern for her safety and tells her, to only return home once day is dawning. And he assures her that although this might look like a compromising situation to some, the city council knows, and I quote, that you are a woman of noble character. In fact, actually, this is the very same expression used of Boaz back at the beginning of chapter 2. He's described as a man of standing. Actually, it's a man of noble character. And it's the very same expression used at the end of the book of Proverbs. There, in Proverbs 31 verse 10 where the writer asks, A wife of noble character who can find? Which probably actually explains why some Jewish manuscripts put the book of Ruth straight after Proverbs. Because the question's been asked, where can you find a woman like that? And they say, it's Ruth. It's Ruth. Verse 14. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, No one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, Bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. See, Boaz protects Ruth's reputation by sending her home when it was light enough to be safe and dark enough to be anonymous. And with her, he sends a gift of grain that was so heavy that he actually had to help lift it onto her shoulders. You see, it's both symbolic of a a dowry, but it's also suggestive of their future. So they both go their separate ways. Boaz to meet up with the town council, Ruth to return to Naomi. Verse 16. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Actually, the question that Naomi asked was literally Who are you now? In other words, are you betrothed to Boaz? Did he metaphorically put a ring on it? Do you have a new identity? And you can imagine, can't you, the excited conversation that would have taken place in that home. And and there by the door would have been the shawl full of grain. A a visible reminder that the ones who came empty to Bethlehem are being made full. You see, Naomi sent her daughter-in-law out that evening in the quest to find a husband. Ruth returns with a confirmation, Naomi you're going to be cared for as well. And so the waiting begins. The fulfillment of all that was spoken of at the threshing floor is still to come. But their confidence is in the character of Boaz and the promises he made. Now they'll need to wait and so will we need to wait until next week to see how the story is resolved. But before then, we need to close by applying the lessons of this chapter to our own hearts. This isn't just a great Bible story and a wonderfully written history. This is part of God's big story Bible. And it's here for a purpose. And is able to speak into the experiences of 21st century people for the glory of God. Now, do you remember, we began by saying that chapter 3 is a deliberate mirror of chapter 2. And it's designed in that way to point us to the contrasts as well as to the continuities. Chapter 2 was focused on Boaz, a man who revealed in his life the nature of a covenant-keeping God. We we might say he is a picture, a, a representation of Jesus himself. Whereas chapter three is focused on Ruth and Naomi as they respond to the gracious indicators of covenant help. We might say chapter three is a picture of faith. So what lessons emerge? Number one, faith requires activity. Faith requires activity see Naomi was aware of God's purposes in in what was going on as we said last week she'd seen the fingerprints but that didn't mean that then she sat back passively and waited to see how things would turn out no she realized she had a response to make she realized that her actions were going to be part of God's plans And in the same way, the Bible reveals that true God-given faith involves reaching out and responding. See, Jesus encouraged his disciples to be those who seek, who ask, who knock, to be those who intentionally reach out. And it may be that you're being far too passive. God encourages you to reach out to him by faith, to take him at his word, to to ask him to intervene in that particular situation you're facing. What do you need to do this morning? How is your faith in God going to be converted into action? What do you need to do? Faith requires activity. Secondly, faith involves vulnerability. Faith involves vulnerability. So put yourself in Ruth's sandals. She ventures out into the dark, into a dangerous situation. The danger of attack or abuse is high. She might lose everything. She might be cast out of town. She might become the target of vicious gossip, but still she goes to cast herself upon the wisdom and mercy of their guardian redeemer. And to put your faith and trust in the Redeemer Jesus Christ can feel just as scary. You can feel just as vulnerable. You're surrendering everything to him. You're giving up control. You're asking him to be Lord of your life. Friends might turn their backs on you. Family might desert you. Gossip might be vicious. Yes, the steps of faith can make you feel very vulnerable. Faith involves vulnerability. Thirdly, faith anticipates intimacy. Faith anticipates intimacy. As we've noted, the writer uses intimate language to describe the scene on the threshing floor. It's Two people from two completely different backgrounds coming close together with absolute purity. And may I be as audacious as the Bible is and say that's what happens when an individual comes to put their faith in Jesus. You see, we come from our world of sin, from our world of self, from our world of failure, and we fall in love with the Redeemer sent by God. We join ourselves to him. We, we cling to him. We, we delight in him. That's what saving faith is about. We see Jesus for all he is and we just delight to give ourselves to him. There is this intimacy that's involved in faith in Christ. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Faith anticipates intimacy. Fourthly, faith operates confidently. Faith operates confidently. Why Ruth so confidently did what she did was because she discovered enough about Boaz to know that he'd keep his covenant promises as a guardian redeemer. She knew he was a man of absolute integrity, a man who was able to do what he said. And as sinners like us come to Jesus, we also do so confidently. Our faith is not some subjective ability that some people might have and others not. Oh, I wish I had your faith. Rubbish. It's not a vague hope. We place our faith in the real historical truths of a Savior who died on a cross outside Jerusalem, a Savior who took upon himself the wrath that we deserve for our rebellion and sin, the one who really rose on the third day, the one who calls upon each one of us to trust in his real and finished work, the one who, like Boaz, is really able to say to us, I'll do for you all you ask. Faith operates confidently. Fifthly, faith receives gratefully. Faith receives See, as a mark of the transaction that took place on the threshing floor, Boaz loads up Ruth with a shawl full of grain. It's a pointer to the fullness that he would provide. And in the same way, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, looking to him alone to be the saviour of our souls and the Lord of our lives, there is the start of the experience of his goodness. Jesus calls it life to the full. The Bible tells us that God himself comes to dwell within us by the Holy Spirit. When you come to saving faith, when you put your trust in Jesus, we're told we are given the Holy Spirit. God himself dwells within us. The Bible says he is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. It's like those sh- that, that shore full of grain. Yeah, this is to come. Faith receives gratefully all the wonderful good gifts that God lavishes upon his children. Finally, faith awaits expectantly. Faith awaits expectantly. Just as Naomi told Ruth to wait, as Boaz settles the matter with the city council, so the Christian waits for the final, the complete realization of, of all that we have in Jesus. You see, at the moment, it's still incomplete. We don't have it all at the moment. We, we still struggle with sin. We still feel the marks of decline in our bodies. We still get things mixed up and confused and make mistakes. And there are tensions and there are problems. But there is coming a day when we, what we know in part will be fully realized. Until then... We wait. We look back to the cross so that we might look forward to glory. And that's what we're going to do together after our next song. Look back to the cross so we might look ahead to glory. But before then, let me pray. Father, we thank you for this marvelous, this wonderful picture of faith, of what it means to, to trust you. Father, we thank you for the way that, that Ruth entrusted herself to, to Boaz. We thank you for the grace, the kindness, the chesed love that we see, that, which is poured out in this chapter. And Father, help us to learn its lessons. Help us to not look for a Boaz, but to look to Boaz's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the redeemer of sinners, who is the one who saves the lost, who is the one who joins us together with him. We thank you for such a savior and we pray that we would be men and women of faith, of trust, of delight. And we ask it in his name and for his glory. Amen.